This is the Stars and Bacteria podcast. I'm Jas, and you're listening to episode 8, Brain Bugs. Imagine a parasite which was able to enter your body, take control over your brain, hack your behavior, and manipulate you into doing things that weren't in your best interest, such as committing suicide. This sounds like a horror movie. Speaking of which, some of you may or may not remember M. Night Shyamalan's movie, The Happening. The movie was about plants, which had evolved to develop a defense system against humans. Plants were able to secrete an airborne toxin that changed an individual's neurochemistry and made them commit suicide. The movie was an allegory about climate change in response to humans cutting down trees and plants and destroying wildlife. Plants had no choice but to protect themselves against humans, hence they developed this toxin. This whole concept is closer to reality than we might initially think. Before starting the story about the war between parasites and humans, Let's look at a couple of quick examples from nature. Let's start with the fungus Orphiocordyceps unilateralis. For your sake and for mine, I'm just going to refer to this as the fungus. This fungus infects insects such as ants. It grows inside them and eats away at their body tissue from within. Now, ants usually live at the uppermost part of trees, but this infection causes them to move closer to the ground. The fungus continues to divide and forces the ant to bite on a leaf. The spores of this fungus, they gather at the jaw of the insect and they contract the jaw muscles. So this means the ant now bites onto the leaf and it cannot release the bite. It is stuck onto the leaf. The fungus has managed to move the ant from the high tree tops to the ground, where environmental conditions such as temperature and humidity are much more favorable for the parasite's own growth. The fungus continues to grow. It eventually grows through the insect's head and spreads through the air, looking for new victims. There are some nematophic worms, which live in water and are about 10 centimeters long. They're larva, or baby version if you like. They're parasites of grasshoppers and crickets. So if a grasshopper was to accidentally eat one of the baby versions of the nematophic worm, the following happens. The young worm develops inside the grasshopper, but doesn't kill the grasshopper. Instead, it hacks its behavior and convinces the grasshopper to throw itself into the water. Now, the grasshopper can't swim, so it drowns and dies. The adult version of the baby worm emerges and swims away. It is thought that the parasite produces molecules which impacts the host's nervous system, resulting in this suicidal-like behavior. One of the more famous examples is that of the parasite Toxoplasmosis gondii. This is a one-celled parasite which feeds on warm-blooded animals, including human beings. But how can a single-celled organism hijack the brain of a complex animal? Before answering that question, let's turn to Tom and Jerry. So if we take Tom and Jerry as an example, we know that rats are afraid of cats, and they have every reason to be, because they are a regular feature on the cat's dining menu. Evolution has primed rats to detect the odor of cats and stay away from them. But when rats are infected with the Toxoplasmosis gondii, this is no longer the case. The parasite changes the rat's neurological system so that it is no longer afraid of cats meaning it has a much higher chance of being killed and eaten by the cat. Some researchers even suggest that the infection doesn't just remove the cat's fear, but it actually causes the rats to become attracted to their feline predators. So the rodents go looking for their own death. The cats eat the parasite-infested rodents, meaning the parasite now finds itself a new home in the intestine of the cats. And this was the parasite's goal all along, to try and make its way somehow into the intestines of the cat. Mission accomplished. Interestingly, but worryingly, this toxoplasma parasite also impacts humans. It is highly contagious and reportedly infects about half of the world's population. 
but it is only really problematic for those with a weakened immune system. Most infected people never realize they are hosts for the parasite and don't experience any issues or symptoms. This is because the parasite has found a way to manipulate the body's immune cells, making it the first known parasite which can control the host's immune system. The mechanism of how the parasite does this was recently published in a joint study between researchers at Stanford and Cornell universities. When a parasite enters our bloodstream, our immune system prepares the immune cells to wage an attack on the foreign invader. When the immune cells confront the parasite, they release proteins called cytokines, and these cytokines are responsible for calling in further backup by bringing more immune cells to the battlefield. And then these immune cells release more cytokines and the process repeats itself, producing an inflammatory response. This inflammatory response has to be regulated because if the process is left unchecked, it ends up causing damage to the healthy parts of the body as well as the parasites. An unchecked inflammatory response in itself can be fatal for humans. The parasite in a shrewd and cunning manner allows the body to trigger enough of an immune response to keep its own numbers in check. If the parasite decided to fight back in an aggressive manner, it could likely kill the host or person in which it lives, and this is not in its best interest. So, in a somewhat altruistic move, it sacrifices some of its own soldiers to keep the host, and therefore itself, alive. But how does the parasite ensure enough of its own numbers survive? The recent study found that the parasite produces a specific protein called ROP16. The ROP16 suppresses the body's inflammatory response, resulting in lower cytokine production. In other words, it interferes with the immune system's communication and prevents the immune system from sending in more cavalry to tackle the parasite. Simply put, imagine two sides fighting a war, and one side is relying on the radio as a communication device to call for further backup. What the parasite does is that it jams this radio signal so the other side cannot call for more backup. Researchers are excited that this new discovery can herald new approaches to developing treatments. If Toxoplasma is able to do this, then other parasites could do this too, which means that this is a new avenue to explore in terms of therapeutics by mapping out the offensive strategy that parasites use and then using this against them. There is an increasing amount of evidence which shows a correlation between toxoplasmosis gondii and behavioral changes and psychiatric problems. The parasite is an established risk factor for schizophrenia. Although it should be noted that no causal link has been identified at present, there is increasing evidence which is emerging to support its implication in neuropsychiatric diseases. This war between humans and parasites goes back millions of years. And given the time horizon on which this war has been fought, some scientists are beginning to wonder if our brains have evolved as a countermeasure to such threats. This school of thought suggests that the ongoing onslaughts by parasites has helped shape our body's neurological and hormonal systems. In other words, they think our brains are the way they are, at least in part, because of how they have evolved to defend themselves against these parasites. It seems parasites are capable of attacking the brain in two ways either by penetrating inside the brain and attacking directly, or an indirect method where they secrete neuroactive molecules which reach the brain from the bloodstream. Either of these could, in theory, influence the host's behavior. The brain and body relay information to one another through chemical compounds, which can be released either by the immune system or the hormonal system. Parasites are capable of espionage, and they listen in on these conversations between the brain and the body, eavesdropping to gather information so it can adapt and respond as necessary. Certain sexually transmitted microbes regulate their growth in response to sex hormone levels. Certain researchers believe that parasites 
could be the early drivers of evolution, especially the way and design in which our brains have evolved. To quote one of the prominent researchers working in this field, many aspects of neurobiology are destined to remain mysterious or poorly understood until parasites, who he refers to as the brain's invisible designers, are finally included in the picture. This reminds me of a quote by Nassim Taleb. Studying neurobiology to understand humans is like studying ink to understand literature. To give one example of how the brain runs counterattacks, we can turn to the work of Wolfgang Zimmermann. Zimmermann studies molecules called CCAMs. These are essentially molecules who have the main function of trying to reach the brain to control the immune system responses. Now, some parasites release compounds which mimic CCAMs in an attempt to reach the brain. It's one of those scenes in those action thriller movies where a person is trying to gain entry into a top security building by pretending that they work in the building using a fake identity. This is exactly what the parasites are doing. Once these fake molecules reach the brain, they can disrupt the entire immune system. But the human body has learnt and adapted. It produces decoy versions of these CCAMs which are designed to attract the imposters. Once it finds these imposters produced by the parasite, it destroys them. This has potentially enormous implications in modern medicine, especially when it comes to psychopharmacological drugs. These are drugs which impact a person's mood. So something like antidepressants, for example. It is possible that drugs which change a person's mood, such as antidepressants, as they approach the brain, the brain may mistake it for a molecule which is sent by the parasite to attack it, and thus it destroys the effects of the antidepressant, rendering it useless. Some researchers believe that this could be a possible explanation as to why certain antidepressants don't have the desired impact in certain people. Now, it is worth remembering that this theory isn't the accepted version in medicine at present. It is rather just an emerging theory held by a very niche group of scientists. But further exploration and analysis in this area could result in novel treatments for psychiatric disorders. And now ending the podcast with an idea about parasitism, but from the perspective of psychological innovation. What is cultural parasitism? Well, when an idea or a set of beliefs take hold of our mind, much like a virus, they can reprogram our brains so that we can spread these beliefs to other people. We are the host, infecting other people with the virus that's taken control of our mind. In other words, ideas that spread like wildfire, they're not designed or configured to be true, but rather they are designed to be easily shared and easily believed. Truth is not a priority, but virality is. In the movie Inception, Leonardo DiCaprio's character Cobb said the following. What is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? No, an idea. It's resilient and highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. This was episode eight of the Stars and Bacteria podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, or even if you didn't, please let us know by leaving a comment or any feedback in either the Instagram or LinkedIn posts. And to catch all future episodes, head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, click subscribe, and if you could leave a rating, that would be great. This is the Stars and Bacteria podcast. I'm Jas. Thank you for listening. Till next time.